Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Alrighty, we are going to transition into reading this super long passage from John. 45 verses so get ready everybody um this is also another really cool story that pastor steve is going to preach on more but john 11 1 through 45 in the village of bethany there was a man named lazarus and his sisters mary and martha mary was the one who would anoint jesus's feet with costly perfume and dry his feet with her long hair One day, Lazarus became very sick to the point of death. So his sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, our brother Lazarus, the one you love, is very sick. Please come. And when he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Now, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he remained where he was for two more days. Finally, on the third day, he said to his disciples, come, it's time to go to Bethany. But teacher, they said to him, do you really want to go back there? That was just a short time ago, the people of Judea were going to stone you. Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight in every day? You can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one who gives light to the world. But you will stumble when the light is not in you, for you'll be walking in the dark. Then Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has just fallen asleep, and it's time that we go and awaken him. When they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if he's just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. But Jesus was speaking about Lazarus's death. The disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. When Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, because now you will have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go and see him. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. Now, when they arrived from Bethany, which was only about two miles from Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Many friends of Mary and Martha had come from the region to console them over the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, my Lord, if only you had come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. 
Jesus told her, your brother will rise and live. And she replied, yeah, I know he will rise with everyone else on resurrection day. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am life eternal. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Then Martha replied, yes, Lord, I do. I've always believed that you are the anointed one, the son of God who's come into the world for us. Then she left and hurried off to her sister Mary and called her aside from all the mourners and whispered to her, the master is here and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she quickly went off to find him for Jesus was lingering outside the village at the same spot where Martha met him. Now when Mary's friends who were comforting her noticed how quickly she ran out of the house, they followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb of her brother to mourn. When Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all of her friends who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, where did you bury him? Lord, come with us and we'll show you, they replied. And tears streamed down Jesus's face. Seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? Then Jesus with intense emotions came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Jesus told them, roll away the stone. Then Martha said, but Lord, it's been four days since he died. By now his body's already decomposing. Jesus looked at her and said, didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power. So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you have heard my prayer, for you listen to every word I speak. Now, so that these who stand here with me will believe that you sent me to the earth as your messenger, I will use the power you have given me. Then a loud voice, then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus! Come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and feet and covering his face. Jesus said to them, unwrap him, and let him loose. From that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, and thanks be to Allie for that amazing kid sermon. Come on, give it up for Allie, you guys. Maybe some snaps. Yep, yep. Uh, so we're in the fifth Sunday of Lent. And just a reminder, Lent is a wilderness season. And the wilderness, in the Bible anyway, is any time that you've left one place but you haven't yet arrived at the next place, the place where you're going. And so during Lent, we typically give up certain things. We give up 
we, we practice abstinence so that we can sort of recreate what um, the wilderness would look like. <laughs> and in this bizarre season that we find ourselves with COVID-19 and the coronavirus disrupting everything, um, we don't have to pretend we're in the wilderness, amen? Uh, we have literally left normal. And we have not yet arrived at what the new normal will be. Life, was, life as we know it has totally changed. We've learned phrases like social distancing, shelter in place. Um, our kids are out of school. <laughs> and on the survey that, survey that we filled out, uh, the highest response was among people who said, my life seems busier than ever right now. I'm trying to juggle my own job with the kids being out of school. I've suddenly become a homeschool teacher, which is amazing. Um, and then other people are saying that, hey, I live alone um, and I have found it very hard to do my job, like to have the motivation to do my job, to have the motivation to do normal things like shower every day. There's this general sense of when you're in the wilderness, your energy goes down. Um, and it feels, I don't know if some of you, like I have literally felt, uh, I have felt extraordinarily inept at getting things done. And three on the Enneagram, I'm not used to that feeling. I'm used to kind of knocking things out, getting things done. I've had to send messages to my coworkers a couple of times this week saying, hey, I'll get to it. But I just, I don't have the energy right now. And that's part of what it means to be in the wilderness. So I just want to name out loud for all of us. This is what the wilderness is. And nobody gets to escape the wilderness simply by declaring that you're done with it or it's over or you get, you're, you're going to control it. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, my gosh. Um, so this scripture portion. The one about Lazarus and the disciples and Mary and Martha and the mourners is perfect for us today because in their stress and fear and anxiety um, and even in Jesus's response, we can find our story in their story, right? So let's get there. So uh, the, the story starts with Jesus hearing that his dear friend Lazarus is sick and dying. And uncharacteristically, Jesus reveals something that's going to happen. He almost never does this. It's like, you know, normally it's all wrapped in mystery and paradox and parable and stuff. But this time, right away, right in the beginning of the story, he sort of reveals the ending, which is very not like Jesus. He says, the sickness will not end in death for Lazarus, but will bring, bring glory and praise to God. This will reveal the greatness of the Son of God by what takes place. Now, number one all play question. Get your fingers ready. Why do you think, no right answers here, only guesses, only conjecture, why do you think Jesus chooses to reveal the ending of this story in the very beginning of it?
so people would pay more attention. Yes, Linda. Ooh, that's deep. Yes, Molly. Uh, Katie, he knows his audience. Yes, from Claire, because even if he did, no one was going to get it. Yes, uh, Cassandra, he knows we won't believe it right away anyway. Maddie, Jesus' entire life is a low-key spoiler alert. <laughs> Bob, to remove the mystery. You know, I think that's maybe like sometimes things are so deep that we need to get it straight on. Maybe not everything has to be mystery. Um, Steve Shawnee, he calls us friends and tells us things before they happen. So we'll have hope. Yes. To comfort them. Yes, Lori and Ron. Um, maybe you can't quite be so playful or mysterious when you're dealing with people whose fears are real. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Mark Cook, in education, we call it backwards design. In order to understand what we need to learn along the way, we have to know where we're going. Yes. Oh my gosh. And if I'm skipping your responses, it's just because they're coming so fast. Uh, Goodwin family. So people won't, don't worry. Yes. From Kelly. Is this because his story is coming to an end? Oh my gosh. Yes. His humanity is connected to ours, Rexanne says, and he knows how deep our sorrow is. Uh, Jason and Jane, because he was human and overcome by emotion. I think all of those. I mean, it, it's... I love you guys how you're how you're connecting right into the humanity of Jesus and what's coming in this moment, right? So in this moment, Lazarus hasn't yet died, but is going to. In this moment, he's not yet there, but he's going there. In this moment, the mourners aren't yet wailing, but they will be. And Jesus is just starting to bring it all together. And so three days after he hears Lazarus is sick. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you guys, uh, finish up your hummus, uh, wipe the edges of those beards, you know, pack a little extra because we're going to Bethany and because we got to see Lazarus. Now, Bethany is just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And you remember, Jesus has, uh, from the last couple of weeks, Jesus has removed himself. Remember last week, it said right there in the text that Jesus left Jerusalem, went up to Galilee because threats against his life were growing. Uh, Kelly was right. I think it was Kelly that says that his end was coming. And so to go that close to Jerusalem again was very dangerous. And the disciples pick up on it. So you can watch the stress and anxiety build. Uh, I won't go back through the, the text, but the disciples don't say anything about Lazarus right away. Right away. What they say is basically, uh, Jesus, going back to Jerusalem, not such a good idea. I mean, you're a wanted man. And Jesus says, well, you know, we're, we're, we're going anyway. And then they have a little back and forth about like, oh, don't worry, Lazarus is just asleep. And then the disciples take Jesus literally. Why are they still doing this after like three years with him? They take him literally. And they say, oh, if he's just sleeping, if he's just taking a nap, then you can wake him up. And Jesus, and then in verse 14, Jesus goes like, it's like he grabs them by the face. And he says, then Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now I have, you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Again, he reveals something very uncharacteristically clear about what's happening. Uh, come, let's go and see him. So when they arrive, Martha, Lazarus's sister, runs out to meet Jesus. And in verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, 
my Lord, if you'd only come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. Here we go. Expectations placed on Jesus. Feel the emotion in that moment when Jesus, a human being, um, gets told. Now, remember, Lazarus is one of his best friends as well. Martha is too, so is Mary. But Martha says to him, my Lord, if you'd only come soon. And, and, and even, even that phrase, my Lord, it's not Jesus, not my friend, my Lord. If you'd only come sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you were to ask God for anything, he would do it for you. And then Jesus told her again, Jesus told her, this is the third time he said to someone in the story, what's going to happen? Your brother will rise and live. And so Mary or Martha rushes back to get her sister, Mary. When Mary finds out Jesus is here, Mary rushes out, goes to him. And all the mourners we read in the text follow her, her there. Now in Jewish first century culture, does anyone know what would mourning sound like? That's an all play question. What would mourning in first century Jewish culture sound like? Loud, wailing, wailing, yes. In fact, I don't believe it probably happened in this scenario, but some people would actually hire wailers to come and wail at a funeral um, just as a way of, of having the expression be really, there, there was no you know, Swedish tight upper lip close to the vest. It was very out loud, very loud. So here's another all play question, okay? Yes, multiple days carry, really long process. Guttural, yes, groaning, yes. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, fashionable sackcloth. Maddie is killing it. I don't know if you guys are noticing that. Um, thank you, Maddie. Um, so here's an all play question, okay? Be Jesus right now. What are you feeling if you're Jesus? Martha has come to you. Matt, uh, Maddie, <laughs> Mary has come to you. Um, the mourners are loud in your ears. You've told as many people as you know how this is not going to end in death. Grief, pain, doubting. Yeah, Whew. overwhelmed. Yes, Allie. Maybe a little frustration that people aren't hearing you. Yes, weary, pressure, confused, feeling, uh, it's just going so fast, broken. Um, even though Jesus is going to raise Lazarus, he's also very aware of the day-to-day -day pain. He doesn't dismiss it. He joins in. Yes, yes. Okay, Brian, did I plan this as well as I could have? Yes, I really think that's part of what's going on in Jesus, the human Jesus. Maybe a little bit irritated, Mitch. Yes. Upset, Goodwin family. Yes. Well, here's what we read in verse 31. Now, when Mary's friends who are comforting her, notice how quickly she ran out of the house. They followed her, assuming she was going to the tomb to her brother to mourn. But when Mary finally found, out, found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have died. And in verse 33, when Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were with her grieving, Jesus shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. All play question. Do you, and this is a little leading, I apologize for a leading all play question that goes against the rules of all all play questions, but please forgive me. Do you think that's a good translation? 
deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. <laughs> Claire, by your question, no. <laughs> Nailed it, Philly Slack. Mm. Grab my Greek Bible, go for it, Brian McWhite. Can you repeat the question? Yes. This translation that Jesus shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. Remember all the all play questions that we just answered that Jesus might have been irritated, frustrated. Um, how do you think, do you think this is a good translation is the question that Jesus was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. The series of words deeply moves me. So in a way, I don't care if the translation is correct or good. Yes, deeply moved, privately accurate. The rest is privately incomplete, Carrie. He's the greatest of lovers. So of course he was moved. Yes, maybe Jesus realized how human we are and how hard it is to understand him. Yes, yes, yes. It likely only captures part of his feelings, Terry. Um, and Jenny, doesn't have to do with something having to do with from the gut. Jenny, you're thinking of a different word called like splagnichomai or something like that. This word, I'm going to reveal the, so when we read the scriptures, they're translated from di different, you know, many different languages, but this is written in the Greek and the Greek word um, for deeply moved in the spirit is a word called embrimaomai. And it means to snort with anger like a horse. It means a deep anger welled within him. It means violent displeasure. There's really nothing about tenderness or compassion in that word. So here's the all play question. Dan Kirchner, scold, censure, warn sternly, yep. So what do you think Jesus was angry about? Who do you think Jesus was angry with? Can't you be so angry so much because you love someone so much so tenderly? Yes, Will. Why was Jesus so angry and what, who was he angry at? That they didn't trust him, Holly. Yes. That um, they trust their eyes and experience more than Jesus. Yes. Can't you see I'm sad too? Stop questioning me. Yes. Yes, because he was saddened by their unbelief. Yes. There's a lot happening here, you guys. A lot. It's complicated and complex. There's at least one other time he was not happy with mourners. Joe says the unbelief of those closest to him, those to whom he was entrusting leadership. Yes. How many times do I have to say the same thing over and over again? Yes. Grief and death are hard for everyone. Yes. Fed up that they weren't listening and only, it's just going so fast, you guys. You guys are nailing it. You guys are nailing it. Was he angry at God for letting Lazarus die? Whew. Yes. Their unbelief seems completely understandable though. Billy, yes. So I want to say this, you guys. All of this belongs. It belongs when you can't quite believe that someone's going to get raised from the dead, even though Jesus says that, you, that he's going to do it. Amen. Can I get an amen on that? How many of us haven't quite believed? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's one of my favorite quotes from all the scriptures, right? Also, 
remember the scenario. Death has resulted in fear and anxiety and mourning, even while Jesus is saying, the reality of who I am means that death is not the last thing. Death does not get the last word. But someone or something is stirring up their hopelessness, their anxiety, their fear, their stress, their doubt, even while Jesus is right there with them. So I think the pressure of the religious leaders in Jerusalem having a tag on Jesus' life, that's getting to Jesus. I think the grief of Mary and Martha, the wailing of the mourners, that loud shrieking, Jesus' own concern, his thinking about raising Lazarus from the death. This is all greatly agitating Jesus' spirit. And I think in this moment, he's struggling for self-control. I really think that that's true, even with all of that going on. And then this snort of anger, I think, is this deep resolve born of righteous anger that's welling up in Jesus as he realizes how their hopelessness and confusion has been brought about by the evil one. I'm not talking about the death necessarily, but the hopelessness and anxiety and fear and stress that surrounds a really unknown event, like when a loved one dies even in the presence of Jesus. Um, I think Jesus is angry at the control that the Satan, the accuser, the world, the system has on people. And he feels so concerned about the well-being of these people. And then we read in, um, so let me just stop right there. Um, are you tracking with that? that sense of there's, there's reality, someone has died, and that's real. But then there's a growing sense of fear and grief, not grief, fear and stress, grief is normal, grief is good, but fear, stress, anxiety, that threatens to absolutely overwhelm you like a storm that'll push you out to sea. And Jesus is saying, even in the midst of craziness and the storm, I am here, I am present. And if you would have faith, that I can do something bigger than death, then you will be held by something bigger than fear. Amen. And this is a crucial message we need to get, I think, in this time. But in verse 35, we read, tears streamed down Jesus's face. And seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? And so just like what happened with the blind guy last week who was made to see by Jesus, and then everyone, rather than like, like um, being in awe and wonder of this miracle that Jesus did, it was easier to just debate about who was right, who was wrong, whether Jesus was a sinner, whether Jesus was from God. And um, instead of getting curious about trusting in Jesus when all seems lost, it's so much easier to debate, right? And to get into theological squabbles. And I think Jesus is righteously angry because we fail to have, not angry at us. I really don't think he's angry at us. He's angry that we get so easily swept away by fear, anxiety that is, that and, and the grip of stress 
that makes it makes us unable to see the good and beautiful things that Jesus wants to do, even in the midst of really, really hard times. But we can be afraid. The Bible says fear not a bunch of times, right? But this is not a command to not be afraid. Like, which of you parents has ever told a, a frightened child, stop being afraid? Like, does it work? No, of course not. What a stupid thing to say to a frightened child. When the Bible says fear not, it really means when you're afraid, fear doesn't have to dictate your next move. And usually fear not is accompanied with, I am with you. Fear not for I am with you and I will help you. So let's check out the end of the story. In verse 40, Jesus looked at her, Mary, and said, didn't I tell you that if you will believe in me, you will see God unveil his power? So they rolled away the heavy stone. Jesus gazed into heaven and said, Father, thank you that you've heard my prayer, for you listen to every word I speak. Now so that these who stand here with me will believe that you have sent me to the earth as your messenger, I will use the power you have given me. Then with a loud voice, Jesus shouted with authority, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Then in front of everyone, Lazarus, who had died four days earlier, slowly hobbled out. He still had grave clothes tightly wrapped around his hands and his feet, covering his face. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him loose. And from that day forward, many of those who had come to visit Mary believed in him, for they had seen with their own eyes this amazing miracle. But a few went back to inform their religious leaders what Jesus had done. So last all play question. What does it mean that Lazarus had to have his grave clothes taken off? Think, think, yeah. What does it mean that the story includes that Lazarus had to have his grave clothes taken off by the people that were there with him? Shedding his old self, amen. Like, for example, why didn't Jesus just say, hey, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. You're alive. Can you shed your old self by yourself? We need help to be unrestricted by our grief and old belief. Yes. And yes, he was stiff from not moving for four days. He hobbled out. Yes. Resurrection and new life requires the work of the community, not the self. Yes. Thanks, Joe. Grave clothes symbolize death's grip on him. Yes. Shedding what others have put on him. Yes. Take off the dirty, stinky clothes and put on new life. Yes. A physical act to participate in the restriction collectively. Woo, Billy, come on now, baby. I think there's something about needing the people to help him with it. Yes, yes, yes. So the Paschal mystery that we are going to proclaim in a few minutes says this. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And you notice that that's the pattern of Christ. That's the pattern of our lives, not just what happens after we die. As followers of Christ, Jesus, the Christ, 
we are called to live out the reality of the Paschal mystery. We are birthed, we die, and we're resurrected many times during life, okay? This is a pattern of life, and it's a mystery. There's a reason why we proclaim it. This is not an individual-only belief. It's what we believe. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. In Acts 17, 28, we read this. In him, in the Christ, we live and move and have our very being. Amen. So my brothers and sisters, before we move to 60 seconds of silence, here's, I think, our invitation from this passage in this moment in history that we can either um, choose to be swept out to sea in fear and anxiety, or we can choose to embrace the Paschal mystery that even in this wilderness, and let's take it real seriously, it is serious, and we will grieve and we will mourn, and that's a lot of what's happening right now. A lot of what's happening with our lack of energy, it's, we're, we're grieving. And we should grieve. This is a real death. But Jesus is with us in this. And we can trust that something like in the wilderness, manna came. In the wilderness, the rock was struck and water came out. In the wilderness, Jesus does his work among his people. And we can choose to believe that there will be life that will flow out of this in ways that we can't imagine. And that's the mystery that, to which I am going to cling to during this time. And the invitation, I think, for us is name your fear, name your anxiety, name your grief, name your stress. Don't pretend it's not there. You've got to name it all. You've got to name it all. And then, we, even if it's just a kernel and even if it's just a seed, we put our faith in Jesus the Christ who will bring us somehow, some way out of this wilderness and into new life. Amen. Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.